once I see if the device works properly. Then release me. I very much doubt it. You see, before you reactivated it, I reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. Hello and welcome to Reversing Polarity, a very queer Doctor Who podcast which posits that Doctor Who has always been gay, actually. Um, My name is Aim, my pronouns are they, them, I am a writer and enthusiast. My name is Rosie, my pronouns are also they, them, and I am a teacher, and just to get the word of the podcast again, Whovian. I love that word. <laughs> I, really, I really like it. I remember my English teacher using it for me and my friends when I was in like year seven. I'm thinking that he'd made it up just for us. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, I was very naive. Alas, my mum was like going to conventions and stuff when I was a child, so I knew of the word, I believe. We had a signed photo of Dobby on the wall. My mum is great. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, Uh, what cereal are we doing this? (laughs) What cereal are we doing this time, Abe? We are, um, we thought that we don't have enough problems in the world at the moment, so we thought we might as well, rather than a single dilemma, have the twin dilemma. Yes, the two. Do you like what I did there? (laughs) The two problems. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> only two problems with this story. <laughs> There's only two problems with this story: the twins and the dilemma. <laughs> it's a it's the sixth Doctor's first story, and he is with Perry throughout this. Yes, it's our first regeneration story. It is. Oh, and there's a lot of delightful stuff with Colin Baker, and then a lot of other stuff. Yes, that is also the two problems. <laughs> Colin Baker is so good that you want to love it, and yet. <laughs> And yet, right. So, uh, what was your prior knowledge of this this serial on or Colin Baker's well, Doctor in general? My previous knowledge of this serial is that everyone thinks it's terrible. Um, <laughs> I deliberately didn't watch it for quite a long time. I have long been a contrarian fan of the Sixth Doctor because when I was growing up, he was like the least popular, and I think he still comes out <laughs> quite low on the votes, which is a shame. It is. He's great. Um, I own the two Doctors on DVD, but I haven't watched it in quite a long time. I remember liking it. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, and I have got very, very into the big finish Colin Baker audios. So <laughs> I have more of a familiarity with Colin Baker after he left the show and was allowed to have a bit more control over how the character was portrayed. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think I once watched like the beginning of Attack of the Cybermen on the, on the, uh, Doctor Who Omnibus. But other than that, that's basically all my knowledge. <laughs> that's fair. Um, I think over the first lockdown last year, we watched god. all of the six Doctor stories. Oh um, my god, that's nice. It was. I watched all of six and seven because I loved Ooh. them, um, as well as lots of different other bits from here and there. So I'm very familiar. I just love Colin Baker and how keen he is. Yes. Oh my god. He just god. brings such He's... energy to it. Oh. His style is impeccable. Yes. Um, so yeah, I th- I think this is the only one that we hadn't watched to completion because again I've been watching it with Joel's guidance and he was like, "We'll watch the first one, but the rest is shit." <laughs> so <laughs> he wasn't wrong this time. Yeah, the advantage to the first one is that they don't cut. Like the two storylines don't intersect. <laughs> yeah, 
The Doctor has regenerated and all is not well. Confused, angry and acting strangely, the new Doctor decides to become a hermit, taking his concerned companion Perry to a desolate asteroid where he plans to live for several centuries. Sorry. The time travellers soon uncover a plot that threatens the entire galaxy. But who is the mysterious Professor Edgeworth? Why has an alien gastropod kidnapped twins? And will the Doctor recover in time to stop gastropods taking over the universe? Peril. Mm. I mean, as a premise, it doesn't sound like an awful premise. I think it sounds like a pretty Doctor Who premise. Yeah, it's basically you take out, like, you know, twins and Professor Edgeworth and gastropods and replace it with, like, (laughs) who is the mysterious Professor Yana? Why has the... I can't remember what happens in that episode. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Well, I remember Derek Jacobi being good. He was great. So it, it... has a lot of components it does have a lot of components um none of which line up particularly well when put in the same scene (laughs) no let's shall we just jump right in yeah all right so in episode one the new doctor starts behaving erratically that's one word for it (laughs) well how would you describe it i don't know it just it's such a weird start to this doctor's reign and i know it's because they wanted to make him unlikable and they succeeded yeah the issue however is that, he was still a delight to watch yeah, the issue is that colin baker is so likable that it feels like a, a big contradiction perry is still shocked by the doctor's change and has him look at his reflection in her compact mirror which is a great little theme where he's very happy with it and then he just takes the mirror to show it to perry being like you think it's good right yeah <laughs> the doctor is happy with his new features and claiming not to be happy with his last incarnation, decides that he must change out of his predecessor's clothing and find a new outfit fitting his persona. Okay, this entire scene where he is talking about his prior incarnation and all that stuff is incredibly funny. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. The like, comedic timing is brilliant. Yeah, like like Perry going, yuck, to his face <laughs> <coughs> and say it's terrible about his face. <laughs> that he now has it's just oh my god it's so like the whole thing is so insensitive both perry to six and definitely six to perry oh, absolutely six to perry perry deserves better yeah, perry deserves better um equally i do think that neither of them has got off on the right foot with this one <laughs> i like uh when he's talking about the fifth doctor and he says that he has a sort of feckless charm which simply wasn't me <laughs> Um, and six says that she thought he was sweet. It's like, aw. Five was sweet. He goes to the wardrobe and starts looking for a new outfit, finding a glaring, mismatched, brightly coloured coat, which he immediately yes. takes a shine to. Yes, me too, six. <laughs> me too. I immediately um, took a shine to it. I think Colin Baker described it as an explosion in a rainbow factory. Yes. And that is the energy that I would like to traverse this world with. Yes, and especially this podcast. <laughs> That shouldn't be too hard on this podcast, I don't think. <laughs> no. <laughs> Perry tells him that he could not possibly go outside wearing such an awful garb, to which the Doctor takes offence. He takes a lot of offence to this story. Yeah, I mean, I d- I'll be honest, and I think this might just be my brain having been deadened <laughs> to it over 24 years of existence. I quite like the coat. <laughs> like, I would wear the coats. Yeah, the thing is, right, that it is 
really garish and mismatched and stuff, but it's still a really well-made piece of clothing. Like the whole and outfit also looks is... really comfortable. Yeah, it, it really does. And he's got the yellow pinstripe trousers and the woolly waistcoat and the watch chain. And I'm like, this is a gay outfit. This it's, is gays going to brunch energy. Um, so, I mean, the, the story of how he got this outfit was um, Jonathan Nathan Turner, the showrunner, was like, the doctor can't have any style. He has no style. So he needs to be in something super tasteless. So he <laughs> asked the costume designer to make something tasteless. So Fair she showed enough. up with a lot of designs and he was like, it's not bad enough. It's not bad enough. It needs to be worse. So she picked up like some coloured pencils and just doodled this in 30 seconds as a joke. And he was like, you've got it. You're a genius. <laughs> My vision is being realised. And that's what Colin Baker was stuck with. Yes. And the best part of the outfit is, of course, when he rummages in a little box and picks a cat badge to put on his yes. lapel. He has a different cat badge in every story. Yes! So good. So two twins, Romulus and Remus Sylvest, receive a visitation from a mysterious old man called Professor Edgeworth. They question how he managed to get inside their house. <laughs> Fair question. Yeah, God. He these... tells them... Oh, man. These twins, right. The novelization, which I did read again for this episode, uh, they're meant to be 12 <laughs> they look about 15 they look about 15 i'm sure it's just the reality of casting mm. actors um they have a roticism where they say what instead of r which is fine and they can't really act which is also fair enough because they're like 15 i'm not hating on the children but I think they also just that... didn't want to be actors yeah it's a whole thing and they have a really bad haircut and they're playing the cones of dunshire for some reason <laughs> <laughs> literally they were picking up these little pyramids i was like oh yeah. it's about the cones <laughs> uh, professor edgeworth is a very mysterious old man with uh, a half bald head and you know he looks like a priest he does he's got like a an eggshell colored tabard there's a whole yep. thing going on with him yeah uh and it is very funny when they question how he got inside the house he definitely like materializes there it's like a <laughs> teleport situation i think yeah so they question how he's inside the house, and he tells them he will return when their father is there, then proceeds to take control of their minds. Yes, with some jelly sweets. Yeah. Did we have any hypnosis last week? Uh Oh man, I think we did break the hypnosis streak. Unless you so... count like the, the beckoning of the rainbow cave as a hypnosis huh? thing. Yes, because that's mind control. Yeah. So... Lots of hypnosis. Yeah, there's so much. I love how much hypnosis is in Doctor Who. How do we get this to happen? Let's just control their minds. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. With, as I say, jelly sweets. They're like green (laughs) jelly things on the wrist. They just stick on their wrists. Yeah. Yeah. In the book, it's like just like an injection in in the wrist. Uh, And I know why they didn't do that, because they weren't quite on the um, Cybermen crushing people's hands level of violence yet in the (laughs) series, but there we are. There we are. The trio disappear. They arrive on a spacecraft in deep space. Deep space nine. Nine? (laughs) Sorry, every time. (laughs) Every time in Star Trek they mention a different deep space station, we're just like, not the one. Could have been been deep space nine, but no, you have to go to Empok Nor for some reason. (laughs) Edgeworth then communicates with his superior, a slug-like creature called Mestor, who instructs Edgeworth to take the twins to Titan Three. Mestor's whole thing is like a um, this weird red hologram effect where he turns up. Um, yeah. It's very odd. It's it's an odd it's an odd situation. You can't really see what he looks like, um, mm-hmm. and he has a very loud voice. It's not good for the ears or eyes. They should have dubbed his lines, and yet, and yet, 
Um, and also, that bit just does not feel like it makes sense. The pacing no. of this episode is very odd. Shockingly, much of these episodes <laughs> don't make a lot of sense. No. In the console room, the Doctor is working at the console after dressing in a terribly mismatched outfit. He looks incredible, how he dare does. you? He does, he does. I love the um, shoe covers as well. The red <laughs> shoe covers over the green shoes. I want the green shoes so bad! Live your best life. I... I try to. <laughs> Perry enters in a new blue outfit similar to her old one and asks how it looks. The doctor responds yuck to her as she had done to his choice in clothing. Now the it's thing cute. is um here's the thing the shape of it is cute do not understand the choice of the top it's a completely different pattern she's just complained about the doctor not pattern matching <laughs> and then she doesn't pattern match either. I love this look but I also I do not match any patterns. I, I will wear. I, I do recall when this is a this is a backstory for the podcast hosts, but we met at Worldcon and Aim always had yeah. excellent excellent looks, but there was certainly thank no you, matching you. of patterns. <laughs> I do not have the brain space to wear coordinated outfits, but I work whatever I wear. Yeah, it's I fine. just wore jeans and a Dragon Age t shirt like four days out of five at that convention. It was fine. It was, it was also a solid look. So the thing about Perry's outfit here is she was initially meant to be wearing like a polo neck sweater and a skirt that went down to her ankles and okay. John Nathan Turner was like this is not what companions wear companions must always wear show more skin than than the doctor great John Nathan Turner man I'm not a fan of his <laughs> <laughs> I think when he's good he's very good when he's bad it's really fucking the more, bad the more I learn about his show running practices I'm just like man yeah. some of That's the not things great. he did not yeah great. it's his take here is like, what would the straight man want in the woman? Oh my and god! Doesn't that, that that is, I think, the reasoning. Fair so. enough. So then the doctor inquires about Perry's uncommon name. Short he for suddenly quotes a poem. Papagilliam, yes. He suddenly quotes a poem about a Perry, a good and beautiful fairy in Persian mythology, but one which used to be evil. The Doctor then accuses Perry of being evil and of being an alien spy before rushing towards her and throttling her. Yikes. It is very, very yike. Um, there are a bunch of complaints about this too, which honestly, fair. Yeah. Um, he catches a sight of his own manic face in a mirror and collapses in a heap, releasing Perry. When she tells him that he tried to kill her, he initially denies he should he could be capable of such an act unless it's in self-defense. I do think Seeing... um, Colin Baker does his best with the idea of the Doctor being afflicted with these like mood swings and I guess like very rapid cycling manic episodes, right? But mm. the way that the thing is directed and shot and scripted doesn't really serve the idea that he doesn't remember. Like they. I feel like if they made this this now, there would be like a lighting difference and there might be like a voiceover or something, like something to communicate the turmoil of the brain, right? Yeah, or sense? at least slightly more physical changes as well. Yeah, because I physical think... physical acting is pretty consistent. Yeah, because it's basically going from jubilantly uh, outgoing to maniacal and evilly outgoing or like yeah. angrily outgoing and paranoid it's like suddenly he becomes season 2 of the Magnus Archives Jonathan Zim and you're like wait what's going on <laughs> um, I need to listen to that you do you do he's muttering into a tape recorder in the corner in Titan 3 like Perry's not listening to me <laughs> 
seeing how terrified of him she is, he is horrified by his actions and decides he must become a hermit on the desolate asteroid Titan 3 as his punishment until he is properly humiliated. This is so good. Yeah. Just, this whole thing where he's like, he's very theatrically penitent, right? Like, I think he genuinely is sorry. It's just that the way yeah. that this incarnation of the Doctor chooses to express that is to force Perry to be a hermit with him. <laughs> Yeah, it's like this is this is how one expresses the sorrow. Yeah, how does that? How do I emote? Who knows? Bless him, bless him. <laughs> the twins' father contacts the authorities. He found zanium in their room, a residue of their transmat, and a sure sign of kidnap. Lieutenant Hugo Lang begins the pursuit and soon finds a suspicious ship previously reported missing. He tries to contact it, but it enters warp drive. Something that class of ship is not designed to do. Okay, so in the book, um, there's an entire space fight where there's six... Uh, I was about to say planes. <laughs> six spaceships chasing... Space planes. Yeah, six, <laughs> six spaceships chasing Nestor's ship, whatever. Uh, and he t- he manifests this massive gas cloud in space that has arms and punches the, the ships. <laughs> um, I wish that had been in the episode. It is the most insane thing ever. And I'll get more into the differences with the novelization later. It is very strange. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. On Titan 3, as the Doctor contemplates a thousand years of solitude and Perry expresses her disapproval, they hear the crash landing. Examining the wreckage, they find the concussed body of Lang. They take him back to the TARDIS where he reveals his whole squadron has been destroyed. Believing the Doctor to be responsible... He points his gun at the Time Lord and threatens to kill him. Which would be a good cliffhanger if I cared. Yeah, it would be a good cliffhanger if I hadn't zoned out for the 30 seconds previous and gone, wait, who's that? (laughs) (laughs) Now I had to wind it back and go, oh, so they didn't really establish it very much. Like, there's this whole thing in this first episode with, like, space command and there's a female commander and a female whatever. And you're like, ooh, feminism passes the Bechdel test. And then they never return, and you're like, yeah. wait, but she was clearly like, Lang's my best guy, I'm going to send him on it, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just so odd. <laughs> it's such an odd choice to have these things happen and then drop off. And I, I can go deeper in the behind-the-scenes bit later. Yeah, I am just checking over my notes for episode one. Uh, I noted that call it the, uh, Six wanting to meditate, it's like, damn, if only you hadn't dismantled the Zero Room. <laughs> Like wow. <laughs> you could have done it there. Also, uh, we see like the alien designs, right? The mm-hmm. Mastor, the slug aliens, like the Slalians. Minions. The Slalians, yeah. His minions are these like birdman aliens with feather headdresses or what have you. It's very odd. There's a bit where six Again, having just suffered from like momentary amnesia, is like, you really are frightened, aren't you? And I was like, Oh six yeah she is (laughs) justifiably understandably there's also a bit where he basically has an existential dilemma in the wardrobe Mm. yeah and he hides uh, everything is awful i will die it's like we really on god we gotta get this guy some kind of medication to help him out because like i'm on (laughs) i'm on mood stabilizers other people are um, yeah sorry I think maybe Six could do with it, you know? At least if it persists, which I think it does. <laughs> <laughs> if it persists for two or more weeks, talk to your GP. Yeah, exactly. 
God, there's a bit where <laughs> there's a bit where he says, "I am a living peril to the universe." <laughs> it's incredible. It's he's it's just all so good. over the top. But like, even though he's being awful to Perry, they're still so compelling to watch. Yeah. Um. Also, the reason that Hugo Lang even knows where the twins' uh kidnap ship is is that they broke into the wall and set off a distress beacon. Um, they have this great conversation we're like well we don't remember who we are or where we're from but it seems like we've been kidnapped (laughs) and it's incredibly convincing and it's incredibly convincing because they're so good at acting bless them (laughs) right episode two we've just cut back from the cliffhanger obviously they replay the last 30 seconds of the previous episode Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the next episode which was great when it was airing twice a week as this one did but not great and also great now because I don't have a memory that's fair, but I was watching it on BritBox and I was like, I remember this happening. I feel like I'm like, I forgot that they did this somehow. I forgot that they replayed. <laughs> I feel like it's because I'm probably going to cut this, but just because it feels like it's because nothing else happens in the episodes. That it's probably. like, it's odd. Anyway, um, Perry pleads with Lang, telling him that the doctor had in fact saved him, but he faints away. The doctor is not keen to treat Lang, more concerned for his own life, but eventually agrees to Perry's persuasion. So, the doctor has some medical expertise in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, he tried to kill me. Fair. Um, yeah. Also, Lang spends a lot of time sleeping. Yeah, he is not the concussion hero, Ian Chesterton. He is the <laughs> realistic concussion haver who <laughs> does not want to be awake. Yep. I don't like Lang very much, but he's, you know, that's more to do with the fact that the writing doesn't give him anything to do. Anything to do. Anything. I do like that he went, uh, at one point, he goes and fetches a jacket. Like, that's later, but he puts on this hideous jacket. You say hideous, I say I would like to add it to my wardrobe. I'm not saying I wouldn't like to add it to my wardrobe. I'm simply (laughs) saying that it looks like something that Blake Seven threw up. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it's bad. Uh, maybe it looks better in real life, not under the harsh studio lighting of the Sixth Doctor era. But who knows? Edgeworth argues with Romulus and Remus, making them do Mestor's work. He scolds them for setting up a distress signal, so they are not allowed to use electronic equipment to solve the equations they have been set. They're doing these on like see-through pieces of perspex. <laughs> they're like, is this a bit where it looks like they're playing um, Space Invaders? Yeah, it's like they're drawing these QR codes on these on these whiteboards, <laughs> and apparently this does something. What oh my it does, we are unsure. Oh my god, I forgot that um, Perry says like he's a police officer, and the six is like a cab six. I always forget. <laughs> it's meant to be a negative character trait, but the thing is that the police are a corrupt institution. So like, what are we meant to do with that? <laughs> Appreciate it greatly. Yeah. And then they mention that they're going to Jaconda, which is the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, an image of Mestor appears and gives the twins a more blunt threat. Work for him or have their minds destroyed. Uh, Mestor is very big on destroying minds. Yeah. It's... I personally didn't feel as much peril, but I think that's because I didn't care for the twins. Yeah, I didn't feel peril. I just know that Mestor destroys minds. Like, that's what he does because it's all he talks about. Uh, that and, I don't know, eating things I wasn't really paying attention I'm sorry, I'm sorry to the listeners for not putting my all into watching The Twin Dilemma I mean, I enjoyed it a lot more on my second watch through but that's because I had the commentary on and the commentary is delightful Yeah, AIM was lucky on this one because they didn't have to experience The Twin Dilemma, like, straight Like, 
They didn't have to look God in the eyes and say, I'm watching The Twin Dilemma today. Oh, I did first. I've watched it twice. I know you have, but like... You I have didn't the... have to read the novelization. You didn't and have I had to the re- read the novelization. Re- redemption. Of I mean, the commentary. I didn't have to read the novelization. That was a challenge that I set myself, and I won. <laughs> but, <laughs> Very uh, proud of you. It was difficult. On the TARDIS scanner, the Doctor and Perry see a building, something which has no place on an uninhabited asteroid. It's like this weird stepped pyramid shape. Uh, the Doctor calls yeah. it a hump for some reason. <laughs> Because he's having fun with words. Yes. Leaving Lang behind, they find a tunnel which may lead to the building, but while exploring, they are found by two aliens wielding guns. The Doctor cowers in fear and pleads with them not to shoot him. Mood. (laughs) Um, I know it's like, the Doctor's so cowardly in this incarnation, and I'm like, you know what? Sometimes he can do with a bit more caution. You can do with a bit more caution. (laughs) It's very realistic. Yeah, uh, they are led off and are brought before Edgeworth. The Doctor claims to be a pilgrim to Titan Three, but Noma, one of the aliens, says they are spies and should be shot. The Doctor suddenly recognises Edgeworth as an old friend, Asmael, Master of Jaconda, whom he last saw during his fourth incarnation. Um, like, honestly, oh, to be picked up and swung around by the Sixth Doctor. <laughs> I want I want to be hugged. Um, that's where I'm at. I just want to be hugged in general. It's been a very long time. Yeah. Also, uh, when he is like, please don't shoot us. And he says, uh, <laughs> I'm a knight errant, not an errant fool. I love that bit. Yeah, it's extremely good. I liked when he said Braveheart Tegan to Perry because it made me sad. Um, <laughs> uh, when they did that bit as well, they had a little light motif of Tegan's theme playing Aww. in the incidental music. Aww. It's a little throwback. Oh, I love Tegan. We'll get Tegan we'll is... get we'll get to her eventually. And when we do, it <laughs> will be a glorious day for the gays. Yes, it'll be very good. But yes, um As male master Jaconda, la, 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 la. When the Doctor sees Romulus and Remus and discovers it is Asmael who has abducted them, he is disgusted. Asmael teleports away with the twins and the aliens, leaving the Doctor and Perry locked in the building. The Doctor starts to break the lock's combination, but Perry discovers Noma has set the base to self-destruct. Now, in the book, she goes through an uncountable number of rooms before she finds the self-destruct. Like, she goes through, like, a swimming pool, a TV room, a library. Like, Okay. <laughs> there's so many things. Uh, I, j- I was just so intrigued by that, because in the episode, she just goes about 10 feet away and goes, Doctor, I don't just... like the look of this. <laughs> I've also got on my notes, his astonishment when it works, what a cutie. I imagine that's about the Doctor seeing him find it. Yeah, I, uh, the Doctor improvises a solution to teleport them back to the TARDIS. They use this rejuvenation chamber that um, Asmael had used earlier, where he got temporarily replaced by a cardboard cutout of like <laughs> an anatomical diagram of a person. And it rejuvenates you, but the Doctor managed to use it to teleport them back to the TARDIS but at slightly different times because he had to borrow Perry's watch to make sure that he knew when he was supposed to arrive. <laughs> Perry arrives and then he arrives, but not yet because uh, he hasn't appeared when she sees the base explode on the scanner. Dun, dun, dun. Um, she ends slightly up better Doctor. Yeah. And um, the this is the point. This is the episode where Lang goes and finds the jacket and he gets the power pack for his gun back, which Perry has coincidentally mm. hidden in the hideous jacket that he picked up. And he just like, takes the jacket too. Yeah. Eventually he takes it off and it's like, you know what? I wish you kept it on because otherwise I simply won't recognise you. <laughs> um, I yeah, lo- I think that's when I lost track of his character storyline. Yeah, I love the science doctor. I like a bit of the doctor doing science. 
Yes. There's a very long-winded explanation of the rejuvenation chamber in the book. And apparently it's all bad science. It's very bad science. Um, I also have pointed out that the reminiscing about the fountain between Asmail and Six is gay, actually. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It is gay, actually. Would you like to expand on this? I will do when we get to the gay segment, because those will be... uh, Stuck yeah, in the deck. No, what what am I looking at for? <laughs> putting the putting the cart before the horse is that a thing? Yeah, I thought you were gonna say putting the chickens to bed, but I'm not entirely sure what that means. I have no idea. <laughs> putting the chickens to bed before they've roosted. I don't. Know. Is that <laughs> put the chickens to bed before they've hatched? <laughs> <laughs> Which came first, the bed or the hatching? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um... Uh, shall we move on? So that's episode two of the Twin Dilemma. Nothing happened. <laughs> like think... on episode three, will anything happen now? Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> a glimpse of the Doctor is seen appearing in the TARDIS. He Yay. was delayed returning because he was using Perry's watch to synchronize their arrival, but the watch had stopped. Aww. The Doctor is surprised at Perry's compassion when she thought he had died. It's quite sweet. It's sweet. He was like, by all means, you should hate me. Like he knows he's being a dick, mm. and he's. Like, he's like, in these moments of lucidity, he's like, yes, I am a bastard and I'm sorry yeah. about it. But yeah. <laughs> it's still a bit like, oof. Um. <laughs> yeah. On Jaconda, Mester is seen putting one of the bird-like Jacondans to death for the petty offence of stealing a few vegetables. Mm. Soon the TARDIS arrives, but instead of the expected beautiful planet the Doctor is expecting... He, Perry, and Lang find a desolate wasteland, a quarry, covered with giant gastropod trails. Incredible. Uh, Is that right? Is this one in the quarry? Yes, we are. They arrive. um, It's meant to be this beautiful, lush jungle, but unfortunately, uh, the slugs eated it all up. (laughs) How could they? The person who is sentenced to death for the petty events of stealing vegetables gets death by embolism horrifying <laughs> this green light covers him and then he like has a seizure on the floor like yeah it's very yikes it's not great yeah it's a very it cynical doesn't... story yeah yeah uh, th- th- there's not a lot of joy in the actual story itself no which is what i like in my doctor who so we like positivity yeah or even when things are bleak there can still be moments of joy and yes they can coexist. yes the Doctor is reluctant to go to the palace, scared for his own life, but is persuaded to take Lang there in the TARDIS. In the palace corridors, they see murals depicting Jaconda's history, depicting the slugs of myth. <gasps> That's a brilliant bad name. Yeah, it's it's very bad. The phrasing of this TARDIS <laughs> wiki entry is, is better than some, but it is a little bit clunky. And I'm really so enjoying is the, it. So is the writing of the episode. So if I think they're doing their best with the source material. Yeah. But it appears that they are now all too real. After avoiding some gastropods, Lang gets stuck in their slime trail. Oh no. <laughs> what will we do? We care so much. Yeah. Asmail takes the twins to his laboratory and shows them a storeroom full of gastropod eggs. Mestor arrives and tries to, tries to persuade them that his aims are benevolent. Asmail begs him to stop reading his thoughts <laughs> and stop Noma watching his every move. He agrees and leaves. Asmail explains to the twins that Mestor usurped him as leader of Jaconda and outlines a plan to draw two outlying planets into the same orbit as Jaconda. I think that's the bit that's the really bad physics. Yeah, I mean... 
my god. The twins. <laughs> the twins' genius is required to stabilize those planets in their new orbit. The Doctor, leaving Perry and Lang behind, finds Esmail's lab. In a manic fit of pique, <laughs> he attacks. Brilliant phrasing. He yeah. attacks Asmael, but is restrained by a Jacondin and the twins. The Doctor apologises to Asmael, but demands to know what is going on. To be honest, I think Asmael did need a bit of a bit of a shake to the system because my God. <laughs> yep. Meanwhile, Perry is captured by Jacondin guards and brought before Mester. When Lang escapes to Asmael's lab and informs them what happened, the Doctor finally shows compassion for her when he thinks she might die. There he goes, Perry? Like It has this really, so episode two ending with Perry worried about the Doctor, episode three ending with the Doctor worried about Perry, a nice little yeah. bit of mirroring. Yeah. This is the episode where Perry says, Lieutenant, and then Six and Lang in unison say, Lieutenant. <laughs> Which is like, Perry's, for once, Americans have the right of it on pronunciation for that one. I like saying it, Lieutenant. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Then we have, uh, I believe Perry accuses Six of having a manic, depressive, paranoid personality. Like, I feel like that's several different things that you've put in one place. Yeah. Thank you, 1980s understanding of psychology. It, it's, yeah, very inaccurate. Yeah. Not great. Could do better. Also, uh, they hear the sound of giant slugs, and it just makes me think of uh, Slurm. You know, Slurm's McKenzie. <laughs> Oh, thanks. I hate it. I think Slurms McKenzie should show up. Um, and they could use <laughs> Slurm to moisturise all these eggs. Thanks. I absolutely hate it. Absolutely no problem anytime, eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we see we see Master in this one, full body, and he is his costume is like a latex mask and a and a sleeping bag that he's stood it, up. In. He looks cozy. It looks so cozy. <laughs> it's quite quite fluffy actually for a slug. Yeah, I mean. I guess when you have, like, they're, they're slashing the budget and they're making you design an entire race of slug creatures. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's only so much you can do. In the book, it's described as if he, it looks like he swallowed a person because his face is pressing out from his neck area. Oh, I hate it. Which Ooh, is gross. It. It's gross. Uh, thanks, Eric Sayward. <laughs> Bad times. Right, so, episode four. Mestor refrains from killing Perry immediately, finding her appearance pleasing. Oh, <laughs> I forgot about that. I forgot about it. God. Yeah. Jacondin guards arrive in Asmiel's lab and seize the Doctor. The Doctor tells Mestor that he ought to allow him to assist with the dangerous operation of moving the planets, as a single mistake could blow a hole in that corner of the universe. Back in the laboratory, Asmael informs the Doctor the details of the plan to bring the planets into the same orbit. They will be placed in different time zones using time travel technology that Mestor stole from Asmael. Obsessed with how completely stupid this idea is. And also just how, like, it's, it's exposition dumping and no one seems to actually care or change their behaviour because of this circumstance. Yeah, it's like, it's it could have been anything, right? It could have been... Yeah. Uh, we're going to move this other planet into a different orbit so that we'll be able to link with it or whatever. And they would go, no, because it's too big, which is the next realisation is that uh, the Doctor realises that as the other planets are smaller than Jaconda, bringing them closer to Jaconda's sun will lead to catastrophe. Basically, the orbits will decay and it'll crash into the sun and cause a supernova. And that um, would be bad. Which is Mestor's plan. He wants that to happen. 
which is bad. Yeah. The doctor enters the egg storeroom and is disturbed that they have no nutritional mucus. I'm always disturbed when eggs have no nutritional mucus. I don't know about you, Aim. But... Um, it's something that doesn't actually cross my mind. Oh, it's it's constantly mm. it's constantly worrying me. It's niggling at the back of my head. I'm thinking, oh man. You need to like get a journal so you can just yeah. put down your thoughts about egg mucus. About nutritional mucus every day. I go, oh, I really hope all the slugs out there are doing all right. That's a lie. Slugs horrify me. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> when I lived uh, with my last housemates, they uh, named a slug that kept coming into our kitchen in the night because our back door didn't have uh, like a catch at the bottom. It just oh was God. just like half a centimetre up into the air to the outside world. Yeah, I've had similars in an old house. This one slug came in every every day, every night, uh, and my housemate <laughs> called it Albert. And I was like, I don't like Albert. I don't like Albert. And once I looked down at Albert on the floor of the kitchen and it opened its little mouth up at me and I was like, well, this is the end of my life. This is, this is the way that I die is I get eaten by this tiny slug. <laughs> so horrible. Poor Albert. Poor you. Poor Albert and poor me. Yeah. We had slash have a rat problem. Oh, God. So we had an exterminator come round earlier in the year. Last year. Oh, and I um, was like, don't worry, you haven't named it, you can't be too attached. So I immediately named the rat Minky. Oh my god. And our landlady was standing in the kitchen and just sort of face palmed. <laughs> I don't know what I expected of you, but it was exactly that. Yeah. Oh my god. We're, we're, we're soft touches, obviously. We've got to uh, yeah. fix Yeah, fix I'm very that. invested in Minky. And we know that Minky has unfortunately passed away at least four times because the cats keep bringing us Minky. I see. Well, obviously, very sad. Obviously, Minky regenerates. Minky is a time rat. Minky is a time um, rat. He tries to cu- <laughs> he tries to cut one of the eggs open with a laser cutter, but the shell is impenetrable. The egg reacts slightly to the heat. The doctor realizes that they have been designed to withstand the heat of an exploding sun. The explosion of the Jacondan sun will scatter the eggs throughout the universe. Now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go on. <laughs> I don't. I'm not. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I'm not a scientist. I'm just a science communicator. Yeah, but I would communicate to you that this doesn't make any sense. I would say that it's pretty hard to withstand the heat of a supernova. Yeah, like, and also that would change the atmosphere around you. So yeah, is when they get to these other planets, how are they going to hatch without nutritional mucus? It's, it's a tough one. I'm so it worried also about feels the like so late in the in the story to bring the actual threat. In. Yeah, it feels like this should have been episode two, and then three yeah. and four would be like Mastor has a bunch Dealing of slug people. Like, there's no other slug people because they presumably didn't have the budget for other slug people. I know it's because <laughs> they've died, but like, they didn't have to have the plot be this way. They could have written a different plot that would be better. <laughs> Right. Um, and yet. When they hatch, the gastropods will conquer the universe. No, they won't. <laughs> um, the one Please see re- above. Yeah, the one remaining Jaconda in the lab collapses dead. His mind burnt out because that's what Mastor does. Uh, Mastor mm. had been using him as a monitor and knows the full details of what has been discussed, for fuck's sake. Asmil knows that Mastor can do this. Asmil knows that Mastor can get into his mind at any time. Yeah. Why would they have this... Co- oh my god, it's... <sighs> I didn't even think about that when I was watching it because I was so bored. But now I'm also so yeah. It doesn't make sense the more you look into it. Doesn't. It's like a Monet, but it was already bad. Like it's already it's already a very poor imitation of a Monet. But the closer you look, the less substance it has. 
Yeah. Perry, Lang, and the twins return to the TARDIS, whilst the Doctor and Asmiel go to confront Mestor. When Mestor refuses to abandon his plans, the Doctor hurls a vial of acid taken from the lab at him, but a force field protects Mestor from any harm. Would you believe that there's a backstory to this fucking acid in the book? Yes, I would. (laughs) How much does it vex you? It just vexes me that the the book clearly could have been about 50 pages. (laughs) Like... The first two episodes take up 90 of the 130 pages of this book. Oh, God. Because it's all backstory about how cats are the supreme race. I mean... God. We can't prove they're not. I think they should have had a whole subplot about salt. Like, they have all of the Jaconans working in these salt mines because it's unsafe for the gastropods to be in the salt mines. And they're like, oh my God, we need to attack the gastropods with the salt. That would have been good. And it wouldn't have been random acid. Like. Yeah, and it would be science Doctor Who and educational yeah. television. Yeah, maybe we should add a segment later that's just, what would we do instead? <laughs> <laughs> just while we're having segments, you know. But yeah, Mestor threatens to possess the Doctor's mind and body and demonstrates by taking control of Asmiel's body. Asmiel tells the Doctor to destroy Mestor's body before he can return to it, which he does with the second vial. Sorry, I, I sounded more bored the further I got through that sentence. Can't blame you. Oh my god, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. Then Asmael, in his last regeneration, forces himself to regenerate, killing himself, and in doing so, destroys Mestor. Dying, Asmael says he has no regrets and that one of his fondest memories was the time spent with the Doctor by the fountain. Gay. It's gay, fellas. Mm. The Doctor and Perry return to the TARDIS. Lang has no family back on Earth and decides to stay behind on Jaconda to assist with their rebuilding. When Perry tells the Doctor off for being rude, he reminds her that he is an alien with alien sensibilities. I am the Doctor, whether you like it or not. And then it closes on his face. <laughs> it's very corny, but also quite cute. Yeah, I I love him. I do. <laughs> I like he and Perry are arguing right up to that moment. And then they're like, but we do like each other, really, because it's a children's show. Yeah. <laughs> to remain in this universe, the creature would have to reverse its polarity. So that was the twin dilemma. Yes. The two problems that neither of us liked it. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's I think it's an example of when Doctor Who goes decides wrong. <laughs> does wrong, yeah. It takes all of the components that could work and fucks every single one up. Yeah. Except Colin Baker. Oh, he's great, yeah. And in a way the fact that he's so great and Nicola Bryant is also really good in this i she's, think yeah she's the doing, rest looks even worse she's really they they are in the real doctor who universe and then the twin dilemma is occurring in like a college a college or high school production of doctor who it's basically <laughs> like, the musical episode of supernatural i haven't seen it and i never will me neither i'm free <laughs> but i know of it <laughs> oh god we can't talk about supernatural on this podcast we'll be here forever people will talk about super who lock on twitter and be like no uh, God, the difference is the, the difference is that Doctor Who is good is the thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've already really said it's just boring. Like mm. when I went into it, I was expecting it to be like delightfully bad, where you go, "Oh, I get it. This is like corny and cheesy and campy, and hammy." I was expecting yeah. more camp, and instead, it's just people with like people dressed in black with bird feathers and a big green slug, and you're like, "God, I don't care about anything that's happening." Like this... It's sort of like how oh. I went to I went to I got the DVD of Cats 2019 and I went to watch it with commentary and I was like this is going to be so bad it's going to be entertaining, but it's just Tom Hooper sitting there talking in a monotone about how the moon is one of the opening shots because cats like the moon oh and my it's just God. dull. 
Yeah, it's no uh, any Doctor Who commentary with the actors, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but I've watched Horrid Henry the movie, so it's a, it's a different scale, you know? Like, when you see an anaconda and you watch The Twin Dilemma, you're like, well, it is better than anaconda, but also, <laughs> like... Yeah, it's definitely not the worst thing I've experienced, but I don't think I'll be going back to it's it the worst. Soon. It's the worst Doctor Who I've experienced. Just a spoiler. <laughs> For later. Because every other Doctor Who thing, I've enjoyed at least one thing about the plot. Yeah, that's true, actually. Uh, and the plot of this one leaves everything to be desired. Yeah. Shall we get into our segments? Yes, let's talk about the Doctor! An apple a day keeps the... Uh... No, never mind. Love him, the little bastard. Big bastard. He is Whatever. a pain in the ass. But in the most charming way. I know. He's hilarious and horrible. And like, him having these mood swings all through the episode is, it's so poorly communicated that you're never sure when he's supposed to be having one of his mood swings or if he's yep. just being six. <laughs> There's a little uh, bit when he's like, self-pity is all I have left. Yeah, which same. Which is a mood. Same. He dramatically quotes poetry on an alien world because it's by an American, so he thinks Perry will like it. And it's like, she's a botany student. (laughs) Yep. Um, And there's a bit where they're talking in the commentary about how they were sort of trying to play him like Mr. Darcy. So you're really (laughs) like, he's an arsehole at the beginning. And by the end, you're like, no, he's the only stand-up person here. Like, I do think that his morality becomes more clear in the sense that, like, he wants to save these twins, he likes Asmael, yeah. he doesn't like Mestor, but also, like, the... <laughs> it's just not well written enough. It's just... Yeah. It just doesn't communicate these ideas at all. So you end up with Colin Baker trying his damnedest and succeeding with what little he's given, and you're kind of there like, man, imagine if they'd tried... <laughs> Yeah, I think the reasoning they gave, again, to go back to John Edward Turner's show running, yeah. is putting this as like the season finale and having him be relatively unlikable. So people would talk about it and talk about whether or not they liked it and then come back the next season to be either proved wrong or proved right, which is kind of a shitty way to run a show. Yeah, just a little bit. Clearly they were mm. sick of making Doctor Who. Sorry, I've just Googled slug eggs to see what they actually look like. Slags. Slags, yeah. Um... They are essentially entirely mucus, so like... So they definitely have their nutritional mucus. They definitely do. They don't have a solid white casing, like a chicken egg, but longer, which is what the ones in it look like. (laughs) I don't know. Man, it's... The the Doctor's just lovely in it, and he has a great outfit that we love, and he's just the life and soul of it, because (laughs) who else can be? Him and Perry are the only people... With depth, <laughs> with life to them. Or with anything to do. With anything to do! Oh my god. Shall we use that yeah. to jump onto Perry? Yes. I have to go. Now look, if you're going to be in trouble, you'll need me to look after you. Me too. But right. you don't understand. Uh, I really like Perry. I haven't experienced Perry in a lot of things. Uh, she, oh, she's a delight. She's great. She's very, very unhappy with this development with uh, Six. And it's like, you know what? <laughs> I wouldn't be particularly excited if someone I'd just become friends with died and turned into another person without warning me about it first. And then was very erratic. 
Yeah, then tried to kill me. Um, we haven't really made Wouldn't enough go down of that. Well, gotta ha- say, I would be crying in the corner. Yeah, haven't made enough of the fact that she does nearly get killed by the doctor. Uh, yeah. At least that's not part of his moral code because we know that he's very ashamed of doing it to the extent that he wants to go and be a hermit for a thousand years. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I could be a hermit for a thousand years, you know? I, I, mean, I currently feel like I've been a hermit for a thousand years. That's true, that's true. Yeah. My hermit cave is the duvet and my the thing blanket. <laughs> I am so fond of your fondness for your the thing blanket. My the thing blanket is the coziest blanket ever and it's a poster for John Carpenter's The Thing, the best film ever made. So like, what more could I want? Um, I think it. <laughs> it's like, imagine if the twin dilemma was exactly the same, except that it was set in the Antarctic and there were nine of them and there was an evil <laughs> alien shapeshifter. It would be exactly the same, except it would be good. <laughs> this sounds great I do have a pet theory that the 10th planet is at least partially inspired by the thing from another world but that's for another time <laughs> we'll get there Yeah, we'll get there uh, basically we really like Perry uh, Aim yeah. likes her fashion sense more than I do but that's more like I like the shape of the clothes not necessarily the colour scheme But I am so here for the colour scheme I, that's basically what I'm wearing today I think if they'd reversed the colour scheme so that the, the shirt pattern was on the skirt and the skirt colour was on the shirt I would like it more I, just, I don't know why but I don't like that specific combination I don't know what it is I feel bad yeah. about it it's also got a very obnoxious bow I'd lose the bow but the rest I like I'll have to post a picture of this because oh my <laughs> god right yeah it's like um, the top is a kind of rainbow tartan and the and the the skirt is green for some reason <laughs> yeah it's great it's a strong look I don't it's know. like a christmas tree green i think it might even just be the 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 fabric of the top that i don't like but compared to hugo's jacket it is much better so there's that also she goes from wearing like you know a white shirt and uh pink mini shorts short shorts it's just an odd mm. it's an odd mix so what does, Pe- what does Perry get to do in this story? What does Perry get to do? Find a self-destruct thingy. Yep. So that they don't blow up. Basically sort of takes control when the Doctor is mood cycling all over the place. She's the one who's like, we need to do this. Do that. Especially in like the second and third episodes. I think she yeah. takes on quite a bit of leadership. I'm just trying to think about like, um, she does kind of direct that, but what does she do, I guess? Like, I, I feel like... You know, she gets captured and then she's out of the scene for a little bit. And then, I don't know, like, what does she do? I'm trying to think about it. Like, she hides the power pack to the gun. That's one thing. Yeah. Uh, She follows Six around. She uh, is a bit more proactive about saying, we're pilgrims. Don't kill us. Uh, but she, like, even, like, Six doesn't get a lot to do until, like, the last episode, besides... That's because there's nothing to do until yeah, the last episode. There's nothing to do in this whole serial, so the, the companion, like, Six regenerates, so he gets to do the regeneration stuff. But if and Perry he ha- gets to react. Yeah, and if he hadn't regenerated, like, and Perry didn't have to react to that, they would have nothing to do. Like, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not a good story, but even besides being a regeneration story, like, yeah, man... Uh, there we are. You know what is exciting though is that our next uh segment we haven't done yet because there hasn't been enough material. But this time <laughs> they have a plethora of material. 
You one of these television chaps, then? Uh, I am no sort of chap, sir. It's Love the it. gender segment. Welcome to gender. <laughs> Would you like to take a seat and yes. choose a gender? Yes, or no gender, as you prefer. You can just sit and people watch. Uh, there are snacks. Yes, this is the segment where we discuss the fact that the Doctor is an alien with a completely different <laughs> conception of like life and gender, which is rarely explored, but when it comes up, we are here for it. Yeah, there's a lot of trans mood going yeah. on. Or more specifically, we're always here for it, but the show does not always provide. Um, so yeah, we have... Uh, just generally, regeneration is a big transition narrative that I think needs mm-hmm. more... Uh, unpacking i guess because it's always kind of like played for laughs in a way yeah or even not even played for laughs but like they the way that they communicate it even with 12 into 13 it's not really seen as a trans story but it could have been you know like it's Mm. it's that changing of appearance that they then have to come to terms with but the doctor has never had dysphoria about their regeneration as far as i know so more like euphoria always good to have some gender euphoria going on yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that. It's always they always seem quite affirmed in who they've become. Mm. They're constantly transitioning and realizing that this new personality and this new body are exactly aligned, and you're like, yes, we like that. This. Is the goal? That is the goal. The goal. Wouldn't of... it be nice? Yeah, it would be lovely uh, to not have radically different feelings about one's appearance just based on day, weather, time of day. <laughs> I, I would just rather not have a corporeal form. Yeah, it would be nice to be a uh, Doctor Who watching Ghost. That'll be good. Maybe that's how I will haunt this world. But yeah, um, Perry and the Doctor are arguing, and the Doctor says something about words spoken in the sickness of transition. We're like, the word transition popped up. We did it. <laughs> but also, like when you think about words spoken in the sickness of transition and trans narratives, and effectively second puberty for going down the hormone route. Yeah, the sickness of transition just. As a, as a phrase, completely isolated from context. It's a good phrase. It's not the being trans, it's the actual transitioning that is the difficult part. Yeah. A lot of the time. Yeah. Like, the regeneration is the, the hard part, because you have to die yeah. first. Um, yeah. But Five didn't really die, he's just changed into a new... Five died. Yeah. Well, Five died... Five definitely died. Five died, but the Doctor is still alive, right? It's like, that whole kind of... the My, my, my former person that you perceived as whatever isn't actually yeah. dead because i'm still here <laughs> which i There's think is little, um, um noelle stevenson cartoon of like love your past self and let them die yeah oh which... noelle stevenson but yeah i feel like it's just so aptly put i've accidentally talked this into a into a really good metaphor <laughs> is that <laughs> six is so offended by perry's refusal to accept him feels like a trans narrative even though it isn't like yeah. the doctor is completely confident in him in himself as this yeah, new it's just person. the external validation being yeah. note this bad. Yeah. Exactly. Man, we've we've found something here. We've we've dug and we found something worthwhile in the twin A tiny little speck of queer gold. The trans dilemma. Uh <laughs> I think we should also have a segment where we come up with better names for this serial that are more ex- like explanatory of what happens. Yeah. We can just it's have not a the twin dilemma. The twins are barely there. Yeah, we can have just a <laughs> Just a segment where we improve the serial. <laughs> I like this. Let's let's workshop. Yeah, we can do we can do that in a bit, I guess. Uh, so, yeah. from the gender fields to on your knees, Doctor. So, as we 
4's drunken exploits definitely involved kissing. I think we can just agree <laughs> on that one, right? At the very least. At the very least. 6 is gay. I like that. <laughs> 6 is just there on the spread, on, on the document as a point. It's true. And I hate a confident gay. I hate that I have to be specific about this. It's a very good thing to be gay. We're very positive about things being gay. This is not a negative segment. <laughs> Just in case people take this the wrong way. We love Six and we love how gay he is. Yes. Like the campness of it all and the theatricality of everything that he does. You're like, yes, I have, I have known, I have known this specific gay person. <laughs> <laughs> right down to the hair. Right down to the hair. God, the hair's so good. I just yeah. love him. I love how chunky he is. Uh, just as like... He looks like he'd do good hugs. Yeah, exactly. That's why I want to be picked up and swung around by him. I want a, I want a hug. There we go. <laughs> it's never going to happen, but it's fine. Uh, also, AIM has a little note here that I'd like you to read. Um, there's a little bit that um, he says about regeneration. It's a violent biological eruption. <laughs> Or is it about <laughs> something this else? This is a ding dong podcast. Um, <laughs> God, I just there's there's not a lot of gay content in this episode because there's hardly any characters and they don't really do anything. But we've we've scraped yeah. and scrounged and we found a little and bit. found some joy. Yeah, we in a joyless a, story. Yes, a little bit of gaiety, as they say. <laughs> yeah, so you know, short gay segment, important gay segment. As male is it's gay. It's okay, I'm a short gay. Uh, <laughs> I'm a, a normal height gay. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're on the train. We transfer Choo-choo. to the bus replacement service <laughs> on our way. Oh no, there's some gum on my seat. <laughs> on our way to Wife City. Choo choo. Yeah. I don't know why I, I don't know why I did a train noise. <laughs> Love it. Oh sure. Lots of people. And there's a woman. A woman. A woman? Hey! We love Perry. We've already established this a little bit, but... Uh... Yeah. I'm a big fan of Perry. I like her confidence. I like that she's willing to be outspoken. I love her style. Yeah. I like her accent, which is definitely real. <laughs> definitely real. Incredibly American. Incredibly. Um, I, ju- I just think Perry is great. I would happily take yeah. a trip to Wife City with Perry. The wife segment is also for saying how beautiful she is. Very much very much beautiful yeah and nicola bryant is great i was on her twitter earlier i was like yes nice good a good egg yeah she's a good egg a lot of doctor who actors are very good eggs we've got to accept yeah um i think it's also a shame that the last few um trips we've taken to wife city we've only really been able to take the companions because there are so few female characters yeah different conversation yeah oh man just think about uh next episode what we're gonna be doing I am so excited. Yes! That's a little tease for everyone. We'll reveal it at the end of the episode. Yeah, uh, yeah so that's right. our wife segment. And again, a short segment, but I'm sure we'll make up for it with the critique segment later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shall we take a sneak peek behind that curtain? Yes! Ooh. Go behind the scenes. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain! <laughs> Today's science fiction so often becomes tomorrow's science fact. The Twin Dilemma was first broadcast in March to April 1984. Mm -hmm. It had a working title of A Stitch in Time or A Switch in Time, and I really can't tell if this is better or worse. Well, A Stitch in Time is the name of Andrew Robinson's Garrick novel, so like... I've got that on my Kindle, I cannot wait to read it. (laughs) 
I read like the first ten chapters many years ago. I was like, this is great. I'll get back to it. <laughs> yeah, I. That's me with most books I read. I'm very busy. <laughs> There's a lot of Doctor Who audio books to listen to on Big Finish. Yeah. So in 2009, the Doctor Who magazine voted on their favourite story. Um, the Twin Dilemma came in at 200 out of 200, making it their least favourite Doctor Who story. That yeah, This was announced at the same time the story came out on DVD, so don't know if that's good timing or not. Um, and the previous story, The Caves of Andrazani, was voted number one, so that top-ended the charts. So you know what's had... quite impressive? Uh, I'm just having a look at the list. There are plenty of episodes that don't exist, that people probably couldn't have seen, that have more votes... <laughs> The Twin Dilemma. Yep. People Sorry. just don't like The Twin Dilemma. I was just very amused by that. Yeah. Oh, God. So, um, John Nathan Turner was encouraged to cast more experienced female actors as Romulus and Remus, but he chose male actors because he believed it was crucial for the characters to be boys for the scripts to work. Um, my personal opinion is that choosing good actors would be crucial for the script to work, but... <laughs> What do I know? I am just a podcaster. Why is John Nathan Turner just revealing himself more and more with all this sexism? Like, oh my god. It's bad, folks. It's bad. Like, there's nothing about it. It's basically that the twins are kind of arrogant. And it's like, oh, women can't be arrogant, I guess? (laughs) Well, that's not true. Um, Casting stuff. Harry Andrews, Bernard Archard, Jeffrey Bailden... And Peter Cushing, Peter Cushing were considered fair as male. I would have loved to see Peter Cushing I would return love, to Doctor Who in this story. I would love old props Cushing to be here. Um, yeah. I love Peter Cushing. I watched some of his films over nice. uh, over lockdown two, I believe, and it was great. And he was called Props Cushing because he always introduced his own little props to all his roles. Oh, <laughs> like, bless him! He was so sweet. Oh man, I think he would have been great in this as Asmail. But the guy they had for Asmail is like fine. He wasn't bad. Yeah, yeah, he just doesn't have a lot to do. It's not an. Ins- mm. I mean, probably Peter Cushing may have been offered it, and he went, "Well, this isn't a very good script." <laughs> And uh, Peter Capaldi was considered for Hugo. Oh man, he might have been memorable and likable. <laughs> <laughs> um, Colin Biker. The, the, the. Colin Biker. Colin Bacon. Colin that's Biker. Him, that's him in Blake Seven. He's Colin Biker. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Baker named this as his least favorite story of his era, citing many reasons and stating that the titular twins couldn't act. He's right, and, and he, he is right, say. and he should say it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I went digging in the Doctor Who mm. magazines from 1984 and I found Gary Russell's original Doctor Who magazine review of The Twin Dilemma, which was not as damning as you might expect it to be. <laughs> yeah. Any choice quotes? Yeah. Uh, so it was, I believe, bottom of the season survey or possibly above uh, Warriors of the Deep. I'm not 100% sure because it was the last uh, serial of that series. So it was like five with Caves of Androzani and Planet Fire and those ones. Mm-hmm. And then Twin Dilemma. Um, it's low placing in this year's season survey is probably due to like the tired format more than anything else. The story was too mm. typical of a style that was once scorned as tedious and predictable, which it was. It contained mm. gruesome monsters, a misguided goody, a couple of innocents caught up in the plot, and the young male hero in quotation marks. The plot devices of the pirate planet or underworld with the atmosphere of the horns of Nyman. It did not have the atmosphere of the horns of Nyman. Certainly did not. It does say that Colin Baker's first 90 minutes of playing the Doctor were nothing short of splendid, which is true. 
Uh, mm-hmm. deliberately over the top at times brackets presumably that will have gone next year when he has settled in completely closed brackets ranting and raving his quotes for Longfellow and Shakespeare and throttling Perry as and when the moment seemed appropriate his looks of- there's never an appropriate <laughs> never moment, an appropriate moment. his looks of hurt or disgust as Perry discussed his predecessor his new costume and his morals were a joy to watch and his whole appearance seemed to reek of a determination to be good and enjoyable with Colin Baker it looks as if the next few years are going to be some of the best the programme has seen and that can only be a good Roman for the continued success of the show. <laughs> in fairness, there's a lot of good in there. No, it is good. The issue is that it did not. <laughs> it was not a good omen for the continued success of the show. Yeah, that's 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 a conversation for whenever we get to survival, I guess. Back to Ames segment section of the behind the scenes thing. You can Yay. find all the Doctor Who magazines from like 1980 to 1993 on the Internet Archive. Enjoy that. The internet is a wonderful place. It is. Um, I think I found the worst take on TARDIS Wiki. Um, Perry makes no mention of the Fifth Doctor's heroic sacrifice on her behalf, nor thanks him for it, so no wonder he's touchy. That's a bad take. I mean, the Doctor could simply have not licked the cave wall, right? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen Caves of Andrasani yet. That's sad. (laughs) It's literally just four episodes of Peter Davidson licking a cave. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> I definitely didn't cry. Oh, no. I am going to watch it's, it. It's a really good episode. I got the DVD years ago and I was like, well, I can't watch it until I've watched all of the Fifth Doctor's era. And I haven't done that yet. So <laughs> I'm sure that um, this, I'm sure the random number generator will force me to watch it before then. That'll be good. It was when we were, again, like over the last year, Joel's been guiding me through classic who yeah and we watched that one without him telling me that it was five two generation story oh my story. god and it was a gut punch oh my god it really was it's brilliantly done i was like this is great tv and then it just like ramped up the stakes it was really good it's the first instance of the new opening credits which is um incredibly good and i love it and yes. it's gay yes uh the first time the doctor's expression changes in the intro they were originally going to have him wink, but they decided not to in the end. And I think that's something that McCoy does. Yes. Uh, instead, yeah. Colin Baker's Doctor smirks, and it's great. It's great. It's, it's so very good. fitting. Um, there's also a feature on the DVD about his costume where they sort of they go back through all the previous Doctors and review their costumes, and it's very cute. He 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 wanted his Doctor to be dressed all in black with a long black coat. But John Nathan Turner thought that the Doctor would actually have appalling pics. <laughs> I mean, all in black with long black coat is also not excellent taste. Like, colour I mean, is okay. it's very neo. You're allowed to wear colours. <laughs> I've seen, like, various edits of of the, the patchwork coat in black, and I'm like, this doesn't work. The blue coat, however, very good. Yeah. Cool, shall we go to Critiqueville? Yes, we are now on the elevator to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Which is better than taking the stairs. It is better than taking the stairs, that's extremely true. We could all go, except Miss Shaw. Oh, just a minute, I'm not going to miss all no, the No, Miss Shaw. Have you never heard of female emancipation? Liz, this time I think he's right. Okay, uh, I think that the attempt to return the Doctor to a point of unknowable and slightly frightening alienness is interesting... But it doesn't work because <laughs> Perry has no allies to vent to and she's just trapped in space with yeah. six. Like when one was was like being cryptic and cruel and um, awful awful to Ian and Barbara, they had each other. 
Because of course they yeah. did, because they're in love. We t- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I had to, I had to, that's my brand. Um, oh. And it's been, it had been so long since one was like that. That's not the doctor's, like, MO anymore. So it must have been really mm. jarring. Like, it is really jarring anyway, but it must have been particularly jarring for children who had only known the fifth doctor to go, the doctor's not like this. Mm. It's just odd. Um, I think your point about Perry not having any allies and that, that different sort of alienation... It it continues this very bleak, cruel world. Yeah, like the... As we've said before, the whole episode is really cynical and bleak. And it's like, they you just mm. need to have that one other character for Perry. To, like, if, if like even if Turlo was still there. I know that Aim is not a Turlo fan, but like, if Turlo was still there, <laughs> he would be there. Then at least Perry would have somebody. Yeah, they could have bounced off each other. <laughs> imagine, if, imagine if Six had tried to do this with Tegan. She would have killed him. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get Sylvester McCoy sooner. And then we get Sylvester McCoy sooner, but we would lose Colin Baker. Lose so. all of the delight of Colin Baker. Or he which... just wouldn't have dared. He simply wouldn't have dared. <laughs> like, I don't think... To be clear, I don't think it's Perry's fault. I think Perry just is in a very bad situation and on her own. Mm. Whereas if she had yeah. a companion of her own, and not mm-hmm. fucking Hugo, who's useless... And kind of awful. And kind of awful. In the book, he is explicitly extremely awful. <laughs> We'll get Let to it. Let somebody be nice. Yeah, exactly. It's not, you don't need to have everyone be mean to have your work be edgy. That's what's so frustrating about the novelization is that it just makes everything meaner and meaner. Like it's yeah. that nothing gold can stay. Like the twin's dad is having an affair. Um, the woman he's having an affair with's husband turns up and punches him in the face. Okay. Um, like the whole thing about the acid. The backstory of the acid is really horrible. Um, the backstory of the of regeneration itself that gets explained is really horrible and slightly homophobic. Mm, um, it's a whole great. thing. Oh, for the behind the scenes thing, the author of this, the writer of this serial, Anthony Stephen, had been writing for TV for like three decades, um, but he found it really difficult. So Eric Saywood ended up re- like rewriting a lot of it. Yeah, I think he rewrote most of episodes three and four. Yeah, and then Anthony Stephen, he was in his 60s or 70s at this point. So I don't blame him for finding it like very stressful trying to write for yeah. this. So I feel bad for the author of this serial because he, he was just set up for failure with this one, I think. Yeah, I think to sort of like speak about the bleakness as well, Caves of Androzani is also a very bleak story. Yeah. But it manages to make it compelling. Yeah. Rather than having bleak for bleakness's sake. This is the thing, like bleakness in Doctor Who is fine so far as it has a like a point to make, right? Or like Yeah. Like in this story, it's just grim and there's nothing like <sighs> There's nothing about the world that makes you want to inhabit it. It doesn't feel like the Doctor saves anything because it's all theoretical. They haven't yeah. started moving the planets. They haven't... And there's no actual threat. Yeah, and there's no action, basically. And it's it's just not very good. <laughs> it's just not it, very good. It's... You're right, and you should say it. Yeah, the next point on critique is, why is it so boring? <laughs> it's I think so we've just boring. dug into why it's so boring. Like, it's... Nothing fucking happens for four episodes. <laughs> like, yeah. and the criticism of early Doctor Who, where it's like, it takes forever to get going, and then you watch this, and you're like, oh, actually, it was packed with plot back in the day. <laughs> ben and Polly would have got into three different scrapes by this point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why nothing happens, yeah. but that's why. It's why boring. couldn't this episode have been wiped? 
Let's trade. Can we make like a deal with the Doctor Who devil? And... Yeah. Can we trade the... Tweet us. Which one would you trade the twin dilemma for? <laughs> you can only pick one, but it uh, and it can only have four... It can only be four episodes for four episodes. Ooh. So if you want the Dalek master plan back, you have to pick four of the remaining episodes. One of them does not have to be the Feast of St. Stephen, but if it isn't, I will be judging you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Christmas Ooh. episode. <laughs> I'd like the Highlanders, please. Yeah, I was literally thinking the Highlanders. I want anything with Patrick Troughton in it. Priority the Highlanders. <laughs> Just give me anything with two and Jamie yeah. and I'll be, I'll be happy. Yeah. So that's that's our question to the audience. Uh, our question to ourselves is, is there a reason why the twins are called Romulus and Remus? It frustrates me. Why would you do this if there's not a reason? Like, Romulus and Remus were founders of a major civilization. They lived with wolves. They were feral kids who built Rome. Yeah. Maybe they were secretly really good at maths. That's how they that's how they built it in a day. Now see here's the thing. The real answer is that they're twins and all twins have matching names, like me and my brother Bosey. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> my brother's called Ben for the record. Hi Ben if you're listening. <laughs> Bosey. Oh boy. I'm like 90% certain Bosey is the name of a character in like The Professionals. <laughs> I don't know. I was know. just very much not expecting that. But there you go. Um, um, it's There's so many things to pick apart in this serial, like the costume design. And I'm not picking on the people who did it. I'm picking on whoever whoever's job it was to say yes on these things. Probably John Nathan hmm. Turner. Yeah, it's fine. I'm sorry to any J and T stands out there. I simply can't relate. <laughs> um, how about uh, this? Is the point where we say how we might fix it, and also alternate titles that would make more sense. Yeah, let let's make it better. Yeah. So I would have the plot kick off at the end of episode one. Yep. I'd have a plot have a smaller but more immediate peril. So it's not the entire galaxy that's going to be overcome by Slalians. It's this particular planet with these three protagonists you've cared about because they are nice. Yes. So we'll have or interesting. Six is regenerated and he is unstable, but the swings are slightly I I don't even necessarily mean more extreme, but going from happy about regenerating to murderous needs to be more distinct. Yeah, and hopefully the murderous would not be taken out on a friend. Yeah, I did have a, a suggestion I sent to AIM a couple of days ago, which was um, where it's a twin dilemma because we find another Perry and another Doctor, and it's like, yes. um, it's all about twins, and it's like, you know, basically stealing the plot of the uh, the enemy within, the evil within uh, Star Trek episode where they get split into two by this stupid rejuvenation chamber. <laughs> when they have to nothing in Star Trek is stupid. Like when they obviously not. I love Spock's brain, unironically. But like, you know, when they have to, like, they, they do all this stuff in episode one and there's the twins there and then they go back to the TARDIS, but they accidentally mess up the circuits or it blows up or something. And so they're still there and there's a copy of them in the TARDIS and then you have more twins and it makes more sense, except it doesn't. Yep. And we know they can do this because they did the enemy of the world with two Patrick Droughtons in the 60s. Yeah. I just think... So they have the technology. Anything that makes it more fun to watch anything yeah. like then you can have one doctor is working for mestor and one doctor is working with asmail and you <laughs> you have to figure out what's going on and they could and be perry trying to decide who to trust yeah and they could be wearing two different versions or they could be wearing like one of them's wearing uh five's costume one of them's wearing six costume 
Uh, yes. Like, like Six doesn't choose his outfit until the second episode or whatever. Maybe the evil ones are still on the base or something like that, you know. Just yeah. just anything. Or if we don't want to go that far with it, as you say, you kick off the plot in episode one. Um, the twins have more importance to the plot and are played by good actors. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do you think, Aim? How are we going to improve this story? I mean, you've got to take something lower concept if you're only going to have this amount of space to expand it in. Yeah. So rather than moving planets, maybe these slug aliens are just planning on colonising a place and it becomes a story about why colonisation is bad. Yeah. Although I'm thinking about how Asmael's how Asmael fits into the story because he's been like subjugated by Mestor after Jaconda mm. was destroyed. So maybe instead of going to Jaconda, like they, they arrive on Jaconda to have them their like hermitage because the doctor remembers it being this really lush planet. And then they get out mm. of the thing and there's like one Jacondan there in this desert and he's like, What's happened? And he explains what's happened, so we don't have to wait three episodes to hear it. Yeah. Um, and then they go and find Asmael, who the Doctor remembers from the Academy or wherever. And it makes more bloody sense. And maybe Asmael's actually double-crossing the Doctor. Yeah, that would be good. Just something yeah. more complex. Something meaty. Yeah. yeah. Something good for Colin Baker to do. Like, he does his best and he's... Oh my god. And Perry gets to do something. Maybe she and the Doctor get separated at some point and she actually has to, like, do some botany to help. I don't know. She's a botany student. Yeah, sometimes she gets to botany. Basically, what I want is what I'm going to talk about in the expanded universe drop. So, do do you want to go to the expanded universe? Yeah, let's go drop. to the expanded universe drop. That was a very. This is why we don't actually write for TV. Oh, we forgot the alternate titles for the serial. Um, I think it would be better if it was called like the Gemini something, because then it sounds more mysterious. That sounds so twin. And they could be called Castor and Pollux, and then it would be the Gemini something. That'd be better. The Slug Dichotomy. <laughs> have to follow the same thing attack of the gastropods um, <laughs> you could call it you could call it just jaconda that would be good and then it wouldn't be um, a stupid title god the twin dilemma it's so bad what's the dilemma with the twins they don't have a dilemma they're just forced to do stuff for the whole series yeah. and they go home like something something nutritional mucus old friend something something nutritional mucus is very good actually Thank you. Um, Thank I should you. call. Our, we can call our short trip that when we get to write a short trip, <laughs> which we will. Which we because will. Have you heard our ideas? <laughs> the parent trap, but with six and Perry, and not the parent <laughs> trap at all. <laughs> I think you could call this reasonably uh, the parent trap because uh, one of the parents gets tricked, and there's a trap for his children. There we go. <laughs> Top two, the parent trap coming soon. <laughs> God. Oh, oh man. Okay. Expanded universe. Da, 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 yes. Let me get this straight. A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard, it can move anywhere in time and space. Yes. Quite so. But that's ridiculous. So, <laughs> I read the novelization, as I've mentioned. It is Eric Saywood trying very hard to be Douglas Adams and not succeeding because douglas adams mm. for all of his ostensible nihilism did have positivity about individual human goodness right like and he had positivity about the way he played with the words just reading his stuff as a joy regardless of what he's writing and he's on. very funny but instead you get trapped with like 
Outside, it was raining, cold and unfriendly. Outside, it was dark. If the twins had looked from their window, they would have seen a wet, shabby ginger tom being rather possessive about a few badly kept flower beds and an area of weed-ridden grass. At least that is what they thought they would have seen, but they would have been wrong. For in the cat's mind, he was fat, virile and sexy. The flower beds were his territory and he was very proud and very defensive of them. I don't need to know about the cat outside the window. <laughs> it's not in the story. It's no. It's not a bowl of petunias and it's not a whale falling to the earth. It's just a cat. Like, it's boring. And then yeah. there's this whole attempt to explain regeneration, which is notorious because it's complicated and stupid. There's a really long explanation of the backstory of their dad, who is miserable in his marriage and is having a, is cheating on his wife with Vestal Smith, who for a while I thought might be a man. And I was like, ooh, but no. <laughs> they conspicuously Ooh. use no pronouns for like three pages, but there we go. Uh, and then he goes to see a psychiatrist who suggests that he make a plan for how to murder his children. What? Um, it, that they didn't need to go there. That didn't need to happen. Yeah, it's it's such an odd choice, Eric Sayward. Hugo Lang's entire backstory is that his uh, image is being managed, and he wants to be a hero so that he can stop flying space planes and go and be on television. And at the end, he stays because that one Jacondon who stays, uh, he's like, I'll be his bodyguard because he has a bunch of money to offer me. And it's just so cynical and unpleasant. Like, yeah, oh. it doesn't doesn't sound good. Yeah. Sounds like a bad time. It's it is indeed a bad time. I'm going to see if I can find like and then um, Asmiel's whole backstory is that there's all this there's all this shit going on. The High Council has him assassinated. The Gallifreyan High Council tries to have him assassinated, but it doesn't work. Uh, so he goes and kills the High Council. Why? <laughs> Why is there all this backstory? Why was this not in this... It sounds like a completely different story. I mean, the thing is that they add in all this backstory, but it doesn't change what happens. <laughs> like, yeah. it has no material impact on the story. They have a bit more where of, like, Perry and the Doctor's more internal monologue. Like, what is... Like, it, it's more clear that the Doctor's having these mood swings... Uh, let me see if I can find the description of his outfit, which I remember enjoying. Okay. The jacket was long and not dissimilar in design to that worn by an Edwardian paterfamilias. That bit was fine. The main problem was that like each... Like an Edwardian paterfamilias. <laughs> yeah, that bit was fine. The main problem was that each panel of the coat was quite different in texture, design and colour. That's not true. I've seen a diagram of it. <laughs> there's, okay. There's like 14 different fabrics, but uh, like 20 <laughs> different segments of the coat. Like it has... It has it uses different things, but my point is <laughs> it's technically inaccurate, which is the worst kind of inaccurate. Um, oh god. This wouldn't have mattered quite so much if the colours had blended, but they seemed to be cruelly, harshly, viciously at odds with each other. In fact, the coat was so gaudy it would have looked out of place on the back of a circus clown. But that was only the beginning. Oh dear. Protruding from the bottom of the jacket were a pair of black and yellow striped trousers, the hems of which rested on red spouts, which in turn covered the tops of green shoes. The whole ensemble was finished off with a waistcoat which looked as though someone had been sick on it. For all Perry knew, someone had. Oh my god. The final touch was a livid green watch chain that at some time must have been stolen from a public lavatory. Wild. Also, I feel like I'm the only person to ever have read this book because the proofreading is terrible. (laughs) Is this the one that you had, like, there were 15 copies seconded in the shop? Yes, I went to the TV and movie store. Uh, which is the name of the shop. That's not me trying to anonymize it. And they had a bunch of novelizations for like three quid each. And I saw the twin dilemma and I knew it was coming up on the podcast. I was like, oh, I'll buy it. It'll be great. It'll be fun. I'd vaguely heard on the internet like 10 years before that it was good. It's not. <laughs> it's better than the serial, but I don't recommend either of them. Ooh. 
it wasn't a waste of my time, but I've put my uh, my teaching sticker in the front to put in my class library one day, but I'm not sure I ever Aww. will. Uh, if you ever get back to the yes. library. My other physical book that I got is much more exciting, but that's for a bonus episode of the podcast one day. I can't wait. Yes. Right, so... On from the novelization, the doc, the sixth Doctor is very popular in the expanded universe because Colin Baker is mm-hmm. a sweetie. He's been playing that role for so long. He did all of the, uh, all of the Stranger in the nineties, which was Doctor Who in all but name. He did, you know, he's been doing Big Finish for 20, 23 years now, some oh, insane wow. amount of time. I was listening to the Sirens of Time earlier today. I listened to some of an eighth Doctor one. I was really on a Big Finish kick today because uh, what else would I be doing? <laughs> but. uh so the audios, the sixth doctor, his characterization is different than the audio. Some people say it's completely different. I would say it's more of an evolution of his personality in the show where he's kind of pompous and overconfident. He's still pompous and overconfident. He's just also nicer <laughs> to his companions. Which is good. Which is good. He has a companion called uh, Dr. Evelyn Smythe, who we love very much. Uh, she is a professor of history. So she's yes. she's traveling with the Doctor out of historical interest. Oh my god, this is what I've always wanted from a Doctor Who companion. I've always wanted this. I think this is also because I always wanted to be a historian before yeah. I decided to be a writer. Yeah. Oh, same. Evelyn Smythe is delightful. She her first serial is I think uh, the Marion Conspiracy. The great thing about this, and I can't remember if I ever mentioned this, but the first fifty mainline Doctor Who Big Finish audios are on Spotify, including yes. a lot of Evelyn's episodes and including uh, Jubilee, which is the one that Dalek is based on it's fantastic um, and another one by rob shearman that i want to talk about rob shearman we we love rob shearman in this house we respect rob, rob shearman, shearman is a fave he's so good it's rob just... if you're listening you have an open invitation to join us on the show whenever you'd like please we will roll out the red carpet we love his stories and today i listened to now, the Holy Terror, which is by Rob Shearman. I think it's the first audio he ever wrote officially for Doctor Who. He wrote for the BBV audios back in the earlier 90s, something for Sylvester McCoy, mm-hmm. which I did download and I will be listening to. <laughs> um, yes. Which apparently yes. Sylvester McCoy really liked the script. So, you know, always good. Uh, but yes, yeah, so the Holy Terror is six and Frobisher, the penguin, the mesomorph, shape-shifting alien, New Yorker. I was looking up on Spotify so I could. Yes, um, I did also hold back one important piece of information about Frobisher for AIM so that I could surprise them on podcast because off podcast I surprised Wait, them with the knowledge that Frobisher is a New you, Yorker. And now the you s- made my day because I'm just imagining <laughs> this little penguin and I'm like, hey, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Get out of my. I'm a penguin. I'm a, Get away. I'm a penguin. <laughs> That was Australian. So sorry for the audio folks. <laughs> he's a penguin and he's also a private detective. <laughs> oh boy, I think I might put my headphones out. Ow. I knew Hello, can I hear you? Yes, I knew you would be excited, which is why I reserved <laughs> oh, it no. for the podcast. I fell off my fucking chair. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> I I had forgotten about this until he says I'm a private eye to one of the characters in the Holy Terror, and I was like, oh my god, he is, isn't he? Frobisher is a companion. Oh my god, Frobisher is a companion from the Sixth Doctor magazine comics. He's great. Stan Frobisher for Cliskin. <laughs> Can I also just um look up the cover for the Holy Terror? Yes, please do. It's um, fantastic. It's beautiful. It's like if Pingu was stretched. Yes, it's very good. Um. 
Rob, Robert Schumann also used to be very active on Tumblr back in like 2013 and he is actually and I only realised this today the origin of me describing Jeffrey Beavers as the scrambled egg master <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so the Holy Terror is it starts off and you're like oh so it's like a medieval society that Six and the Doctor have ended up in because the TARDIS is telling off Frobisher for um, essentially he uses the TARDIS's like um visualization circuits or whatever to create a fish for him to eat um Mm -hmm. and he's like well it's not a real fish so what does it matter and the doctor's like well the fish thinks it's real it has emotions that you are torturing by refusing to eat it um and just tormenting (laughs) it and then um the tardis kicks them out because she's frustrated with them (laughs) and they are in like a big castle inhabited by a very weird monarchy like it's like a god king emperor situation where they crown a new god every time the previous god dies and has proven himself to be a false god um wow okay it's always being chronicled by this guy uh who is like the scribe and it all starts off very innocently but as it goes on it gets weirder and weirder until it crescendos in one of the weirdest things ever and it's so good i I don't want to spoil it i genuinely really recommend it it's fantastic and it's on spotify so there's no reason not to listen to it it's again called the holy terror colin baker's great in it um the actor playing frobisher who is robert jezik who's in battlefield so uh familiar why is that name familiar i think i've mentioned it before we were on that might be it Rob Schumann has written, as I've mentioned on the movie episode, he wrote quite a lot of audios, but he kind of left Big Finish back in the day, and now he writes mostly horror short fiction, which is presumably excellent. I have read one or two. They were all very good. Basically, I'll need to look him up, support so him. He's great. Very much my jam. And he was very nice when he was on Tumblr. I remember that. I was Aww. I followed him back in the day. Uh, but he has escaped Tumblr, unlike me, and I admire him for that. <laughs> uh, and then there was... Uh, other things that the sixth doctor was featured in obviously as i mentioned he was in the magazine comics and there are quite a lot of novels about him i haven't read any i think they're usually him and perry occasionally him and mel but obviously that's slightly tricky time frame stuff because of trial of a time lord and then going into time of the rani but is it hang on is it time of the rani or mark of the rani that's the seventh doctor's regeneration story you can look it up i hope it's time of the rani that would be really intelligent of me (laughs) (laughs) Because um, I know we've got one of them coming up. Have we got one of them coming up soon? I think we have. I love anything with the Rani in. Yeah, she's great. Time in the Rani is Seven's regen story. But there is definitely space between End of Trial of a Time Lord and Start of Time in the Rani yeah. for <laughs> Six and Mel to have adventures. Which is good, because we love Mel. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. We love Mel. Yes. But yeah, so there's various books and then there's the various short trips that he features in, one of which is by Rob Shearman, where he learns to <gasps> dance. It's really good. Um, <laughs> he orders adorable. He orders vegetarian lasagna and so does his dance teacher. And as a result, he tells the dance teacher his real name and you're like, oh man, I love this actually. Oh. Um, but the oh. short trip I'll be talking about is called Turnabout is Fair Play by Graham Burke. It's in short trips and sidesteps and it is a freaky Friday story where Six and Perry okay. swap bodies. Um, wow. What? So yes, it's for first person from Perry's perspective. She's very sick of the whole situation, which is incredible. She like comes comes to awareness and she's in Six's body and she's like, "Well, this is fucking weird." And she's speaking like herself, and it sounds odd in Six's voice, which I can imagine it would. Uh, she gets set upon <laughs> when she leaves the TARDIS though, because they think she's the Doctor, and it's oh, wow. much as she okay. isn't. It's hard to convince someone when you are, you know, 
visibly the doctor. <laughs> she gets abducted by these yeah, people same. and taken to their leader, who is uh, just a random alien. It doesn't really matter. Um, and he's like, if you don't reveal the secrets of time travel to me, I will kill you. And Perry's like, I don't have the secrets of time travel because I'm not the doctor. <laughs> Um, she gets taken to a cell uh, where she finds a poppy plant and there is a hilarious flashback to when she was a student and she knew quite a lot of potheads who were like here's what you can do with the seed pot of a poppy (laughs) Um, of course she did again Perry getting to be a botanist Yes, exactly. It's mm-hmm. good stuff. Uh, so she invites the... She's like, okay, I'll tell you over a pot of tea. And she steeps this tea for fucking ages <laughs> and then slips the seed pods into it. And she starts spouting complete nonsense about time travel. Like, she's trying to imitate the doctor's mannerisms and speech by just putting long <laughs> words in that. It's very Adorable. funny. And the reason she started going this particular direction is because she saw her own footprints, like the footprints of the shoes that she wears. And she was like, well, obviously the doctor went that way in that case. She hasn't found him yet. <laughs> Um, and she digs in his pockets and she finds, you know, like a firecracker and a book by George Orwell. <laughs> but uh, she's trying to bullshit this guy about time travel and it does not work because he does not get high enough uh, on it. And he's like, oh man, I guess it's time to kill you. So she throws the firecracker oh at him, uh, which explodes the, the machine that he was using to like control people's minds. It's one of those kinds of stories. Perry like runs out and she's going back towards the TARDIS. She's like, God, the doctor better be in the fucking TARDIS (laughs) so that we can sort this out. And as she's thinking that she finds herself back in the TARDIS in her own body. And Six is like, thank you for the distraction. You did pretty well. (laughs) He's definitely doing a bit of negging as he is wont to do. But, you know, he's fairly nice in the Six at this point. But yeah, it's it's a really fun story. There's a quote where it's like... She's thinking to herself and she's like, prose, if I get tortured to death, I might regenerate into someone better looking. <laughs> Amazing. It's very good. It's just, it's really fun. Um, there's a bit where she's thinking, man, I just want to be in the TARDIS t- television room, eating microwave popcorn and watching future episodes of Magnum P.I. Oh, wow. That's a mood. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really good short story. I'm really enjoying my voyages through short trips. Uh, you know, there's a variety. I'm really of them. enjoying hearing about them. Yeah, there's a variety of them with six, uh, whether on his own or with Perry or with Mel or with uh, you know whoever. So yeah, that is the expanded universe Thank drop you. for this time. Thank you. My universe feels expanded, and my ass is a little Excellent. bit sore. <laughs> <laughs> I know why, but my god. <laughs> I fell on it really hard. <laughs> oh my god! Right, we're going on to we're going on to rankings. All right, I think that the awful haircut of the week Ooh, could have gone yes. to the twins, but I'm actually going to give it to Hugo Lang. Yeah, it's, it's so awful. unremarkable. It's really bad. It's like almost turf bangs, but there's not enough of it. <laughs> like, yeah. It's the it's length not good look. of turf bangs. But, but it's also it's, really unremarkable. It's really greasy. It's just yeah. a bad look. Uh, my choice is costume of the week for Mestor's sleeping bag body. I'm obsessed with the fact they gave him a little latex mask with big eyes and then also storks with <laughs> eyes on them. They couldn't choose. <laughs> and then a big sleeping bag with armholes for his tiny little arms. In the book, it's like he he genetically engineered himself to have spindly legs and tiny arms, which don't fucking do anything, just so that he would look better. And it's that's, like, it didn't work. It that didn't doesn't work. work. Nope, that's wild. 
But yeah, so that's my X of the Week. If you have your own X of the Week, please tweet it to us at PolarityPod. We keep forgetting to say it, so please do it. <laughs> please do. Follow um, us on Twitter. Sometimes we post memes. Yes, sometimes we do. Sometimes we, we post, post previews uh, of episodes, probably once we uh, start actually uploading them. We're still recording <laughs> these before we start releasing them. One day we will be <laughs> approximately contemporary. Uh, okay, so... Six degrees of place seven. Yes, the reason everybody is here. Yes. Now this time I actually went through a bit of uh, evolution for this one because I kept finding closer connections. So I'm going to go in the order that I discovered them. So the first one is three degrees of separation, which is Nicola Bryant was in the case of Androzani with John Normington. Now I try not to do. This actor who was in Doctor Who was also in this episode of Doctor Who with someone else because I feel like I have to save it for that episode. <laughs> yeah. um, but John Normington was in the Torchwood episode Ghost Machine with Gareth Thomas, who played uh. Rog Blake on Blake 7. So that's uh. three. I thought it would be nice to have an actual connection with different characters each time. Or we have two degrees of separation, which is Colin Baker was the MJT was in the MJTV production Soldiers of Love with Michael Keating, who played Vila Ristal. I own volume one of Soldiers of Love. It's the weirdest <laughs> thing in the entire world. Okay. I, that sounds bizarre. It's it's so weird. Nicholas Courtney is in it and they just voice modulate him the entire time. And one person is in it playing a fridge, I'm pretty sure. There's a trans character somehow, mm-hmm. and it's I it genuinely so baffling. I can't tell if it's offensive or not. Um, uh, that's never a great look. It's got songs in it. It's just okay. Just, I like songs. It's a lot going on. One of them is like life is such a drag or something, and that's got Colin Baker singing about being evil. And you're like, well, this is good. <laughs> okay. Oh. He's Sounds he sings like it would be a song for a drag king or something. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of about drag because they're all, you know, performers. It's weird. It's it's really weird. Um, I'm sure I'll get into Soldiers of Love more some other time. But I then discovered Colin Baker was in an episode of Blake 7 as a Leather Daddy villain. Like, Please tell me more about Leather Daddy villain. I know I've seen the picture. Um, I watched a clip of him in the episode and he was actually quite menacing as the villain, which is always impressive. He played uh, Babin the Butcher in City at the Edge of the World which is quite impressive. Okay. Um, he's very, very intimidating. He's got an earring. He's wearing studded <laughs> leather because it's Blake 7. <laughs> this is after Blake has left the show, so it's still called Blake 7, but not. there were never seven members of the crew and Blake wasn't in it for a while. <laughs> Sounds bad for the course from what I've heard. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly something... But uh, yeah, Colin Baker is basically just fantastic in the episode. So I was very pleased with it. I haven't reached that point in the show, which is why I didn't realise. But there we go. That's the evolution of the research. I love it. I do really, I I work on it. But yeah, that's Six Degrees of Blake 7. It's my favourite segment to research. Right. Okay, I'm giving this, uh, oh God. I'm giving it one whiteboard pen space invader out of five. Yeah, I'd probably have to give it one slug egg lacking nutritional oh. mu- mucus out of five yeah there's no nu- there's no nutritional mucus out of five there's barely <laughs> any mucus yeah so i think it's fairly clear the overall ranking this is going dead last would you right think? at the bottom yeah. yeah i'm sure that other things will eventually separate it in tomb of the cybermen which i feel very bad on the behalf of tomb of the cybermen it's also our, it's our sixth episode out of a hundred and sixty something stories yeah well, there is much time. We'll get there. To be fair, uh, we have to wait until there's a 
a good way of watching the missing episodes to make it truly 160 something but we'll figure it out well we will just have to go gallivanting around the world in search of lost episodes yes <laughs> subscribe to our patreon to fund our trips to <laughs> singapore we don't have patreon yet it's <laughs> just yet. to be clear um, but but yeah, so, if you want to know when we do, follow us at Polarity Pod on Twitter or polaritypod.tumblr.com for all of these updates. Oh, that's so smooth. smooth. Right. Next episode, we will be discussing oh Ben Aronovich's Battlefield. Battlefield. The noises we made when the random number generator gave us this episode oh were my God. unreal. I watched it again a couple of weeks ago with my mum. It's like oh, it's so good. So good. We're we're really excited. Um, I think it's probably what I'm gonna do tomorrow afternoon. Yeah. Whilst procrastinating. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, I actually have it on DVD this time, so maybe I could watch the commentary as well. Ooh, yes, join me Coventryville. Yes, so uh, thank you very much for listening to Reversing Polarity, a Doctor Who fancast. As I mentioned, you can follow us on Twitter at PolarityPod or on Tumblr at PolarityPod.tumblr.com. Please leave us a review uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I think we're on iTunes now, question mark. We should be by the time this goes up. Excellent. It's always good to know. Um, Definitely submitted. Yeah, reviews really do help us at this point in the podcast to get us out there. Please do tweet us anything. Anytime we say tweet us, we are serious. Please tweet us anything that you think. We, re- I, I really enjoy responding to tweets just on any account, frankly. And it yeah. would be really nice to get to hear everyone's thoughts on the twin dilemma. <laughs> you, t- you <laughs> tell don't... us if we were wrong. Yeah, and you don't have to watch the serials to enjoy this podcast. However. I recommend you watch Battlefield every day for the rest of your life because if I could, I would. So we'll see you next time for Battlefield. (laughs) 